Hi again, everybody. Matt Laughlin along with John McAlevey as we welcome you to this week's podcast on moresportsnow.com. First off, let's send out our best wishes to our colleague Steve Titchener. A little under the weather with a touch of the flu. So, Johnny, it's just you and me this week, baby. Yes, we can... uh... We will steer it home, I'm sure. We'll hit the runway, I I bet. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Steve will be getting better listening to each and every word and just hanging on what we have to say about the sports world. But we're kind of at this convergence a little bit. We've got baseball in the midst of spring training. Of course, college basketball is red hot with tournaments beginning next week. And then you've got football in the news because this is the time where teams make decisions on whether to franchise tag players as they get ready for the start of next year. So a whole bunch of things for us to talk about. Let's though start with some college hoops because this is a terrific night in New Jersey for college basketball with both of the major programs in action. Seton Hall at home at Prudential Center as they take on Marquette. Meanwhile, Rutgers plays its final home game of the Big Ten season as they take on Penn State. There's a little bit more at stake in the Seton Hall Marquette game. We'll get to that next, but it should be jam-packed. It's a sellout at the rack, and Rutgers and Penn State will be going tooth and nail. Penn State's been playing better lately, John. Rutgers trying to end its best season in Big Ten history, albeit only there for a few years. Absolutely, and you mentioned Rutgers playing well. They had a huge win this past Saturday. They go out to Iowa And they really abused Iowa. They beat the Hawkeyes from pillar to post on senior night at uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena, which was an amazing win for them. And that's remember, that's coming off of the the home loss where uh, Joe Wieskamp banks one off the side of the basket. And, you know, you lose a game that way. And I know I saw uh, on Twitter some of the players were saying, you know, not payback, but um, in a malicious way, but hey, listen, you guys got us at the buzzer, and we're, we were coming out there to get you, and and so that was a huge win for them. They're riding that wave, and let's let's face it, Penn State at home is a game that they should win. They're playing really well. They're getting contributions from from all over the map, from their freshmen really stepping up to their upperclassmen, and as you mentioned, the rock will, or excuse me, the rack will be rocking tonight. And uh, I'm actually, you know, putting that on the dial. Who who knew that Rutgers basketball would be must-watch television? But I'm really interested to see how they come out tonight. Yeah, it's a big test for them. And you look at it on the face of things and you go, really, Penn State? Is it that much of a test? But Penn State's been playing much better basketball lately, although they come off a a loss to Wisconsin over the weekend. And so Rutgers will be challenged. They didn't exactly run roughshod over them at Happy Valley. And right. Penn State, uh, surprisingly, is a favorite, I guess. If you if you just look at it, you go, why, with Rutgers being at home? But the fact that the Nittany Lions are playing a little bit better probably plays into that as well. Yes, I was going to say, if you're looking for a little added incentive, being a one-and-a-half uh, one to two-point dog at home that's a bit of a slap in the face i was also reading um some of the articles and some some fan reaction on twitter and a lot of the rutgers folks are taking their animus towards penn state football and having uh been abused by penn state football wise over these uh many years onto the hardwood tonight so they have a little added incentive in that respect to want to come out and have their voices heard during the game and as I said, it should be a lot of fun. I'm really interested in watching these young players really come together, the Ron Harper Juniors and the Montez Mathis of the world. They're really 
blossoming right before our eyes and it's uh, it bodes well for them in the future the whole team will be back next year it'd be great if they could continue this onward and upward and play in a postseason tournament to kind of keep the ball rolling pun intended yeah it would be uh good for them to to keep it going indeed uh, we'll see what they can do though this is a test because not only uh is penn state playing better but also now rutgers is expected to do more to be better and how do teams respond when the respect is there it's one thing when you've got a chip on your shoulder and now it's something else when people say hey this Mathis kid is good. Harper is developing. Uh, uh, you know, Geo Baker is terrific. Omaruni is their leader. Wow, Rutgers is good. Now we're going to attack you. Now let's see how you handle that. Yes, going from the hunter to the hunted, right? In, in that respect, and that's where coaching really comes in. And we'll see if Steve Peichel's got uh, got a firm grip of uh, of the team and uh, by the way that they play. It'd be nice to see them come out right out of the gates and, and sort of put their foot down, get out to a nice working lead and then see if they can let that crowd, uh, you know, rise as one and help pull them through. But as you mentioned, Penn state is playing a lot better. And it, again, it should be a terrific game because they're thinking, wow, we're going into play Rutgers and this is a big game. Wait, Rutgers, this isn't football. This is basketball. So they're, they've got that on their mind, and they're in for a fight tonight. And it, uh, we'll be listening to our friend Jerry Recco, who was on with us last week, and uh, we'll hear him on uh, on the call tonight as well. Yeah, he's got it on the Rutgers Radio Network. The game will be shown on the Big Ten Network. And I think we'll see a battle inside. How will Rutgers handle Lamar Stevens, uh, the junior go-to guy for Penn State. Neither team scores a lot, but a lot goes through that guy. He averages 20 points per game. Uh, let's see what Omaruni can do to try to shut him down. Uh, yeah, and Rutgers will use that size that they have from Shaq Carter and, and Dorson and Miles Johnson. They've got like three legitimate 6'11 guys. That's You're talking uh, 15 fouls there, so... They'll, they'll use the bulk that they have, and they'll run a lot of different folks at him, and they'll try and make his life hard. We'll see if they're able to uh, accomplish that. Yeah, Penn State is good at causing turnovers. If Rutgers can protect the ball, uh, then they should be okay. And we haven't mentioned Geo Baker, of course. Uh, so much will go through him. And if Terrific. He can, yeah, if he can pace uh, Penn, or rather uh, Rutgers tonight, then it, it Penn State could be in for a difficult night. Either way, it sets up as a terrific night. And as Jerry told us, and as we acknowledged when we had him on as a guest, because we've all been at the rack at one point or another, that building, when it's filled, it gets loud. It's one of the best basketball arenas, college basketball arenas in America from that standpoint. The shame of it is Rutgers has been so bad for so long lately uh, that people have forgotten that. But the rack is back. Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of the the worst kept secret, right? Or the best kept secret. People don't really know about it, but um, man, when when, pe- when they rise to their feet, that uh, that place is hard to. Uh, obviously, you can't hear your coach. I mean, he's yelling across the court. You can't hear anything. So teams have to be mentally strong, and, and that's where I think a guy like you mentioned, Geo Baker, and how good he is, especially late in the clock. He, he just has an extra gear that he's able to bring his game in. And when you have a guy like that on your team, that's a good thing to have. Seton Hall, meanwhile, uh, just a couple of miles north of Piscataway, will take on Marquette, one of their final two games in conference play, both of them at home on Saturday at noon. Villanova comes a calling, but Seton Hall has to take 
First things first, uh, they've scuffled lately. Uh, They're on a three-game losing streak. And a lot of experts are saying that their NCAA hopes, barring a run to the tournament championship next week at Madison Square Garden, hinges on winning both of these games. Now, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I think one of the two would be enough to get Seton Hall, uh, barring a collapse in the first round next week, uh, a bid to the NCAA tournament. I think we forget about those wins earlier against Maryland and Kentucky. And yeah, there's a little bit of what have you done for me lately that will play into the tournament committee's thoughts when they do release the field of 68. But to me, Seton Hall with a win tonight, uh, and or a win on Saturday, and neither Marquette nor Villanova is particularly playing well, uh, certainly would secure a berth. I don't think they have to sweep both. I don't. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, if they sweep them both, then you're talking about seeding now. Now you're moving up in, in your seeding rank. Um, I think one gets it done um, just so that, you know, that they don't go out and lose the next one by like 30 points and then get bounced in the first round of the Big East tournament. I think that uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And let's face it, it's not as if, you know, the game, they're on that three-game losing streak. They're not getting hammered each and every time out. They lost in double overtime at Georgetown. I watched that game the other night. That was an amazing game. Uh, and and along the lines of, you know, how good Geo Baker is with Rutgers, I mean, Seton Hall with, uh, with Miles Powell, he is at times, it seems, unguardable. I mean, teams... If you get up close on him, he'll go by you. And if you if you leave more than an arm's length away, he's going to drop a three in your face from, you know, basically one or two steps inside of three-point range. It's going to be if he can get help, if Miles Kale can step up and help him, if Sandro Mamukelishvili can help him out, if, uh, you know, Michael Enzi inside can drop a couple of points in. That's what it's really going to come down to. And uh, they're going to need all of that help tonight because Marquette can put points on the board. We all know about Marcus Howard and how good he is, but the Hauser brothers are terrific. And uh, they're getting good contributions from Sakar Anum, who's a little-known guy, but he's really coming on strong. And Wojo's club needs a win. They're, they've dropped two in a row. And um, if they want to win the outright Big East, tournament, uh, Big East Conference regular season crown, take it away from Uh, Villanova, who seems to own it, then uh, they've got to get on the stick, and that starts tonight. Yeah, if they win both of their games, they'll do no worse than tie for the conference championship. Nova's lone remaining game is Saturday against Seton Hall. A victory there puts them at 14-4 and in the conference, and if Marquette can sweep uh, their last two games, then they too would finish at 14-4. and Of course, if Seton Hall can do the Golden Eagles a bit of a favor and beat Villanova, uh, while losing tonight to Marquette, then Marquette has a chance at an outright title. But again, uh, that's getting ahead of everyone just a little bit. You know, we talked about Miles Powell, and, and I think that certainly he's critical. I mean, duh, that's going out on a limb, right? He's critical to Seton Hall's success. But I think Mamu uh, Kalishvili has got to come up with a big game uh, tonight. Uh, he he shows flashes. There are times he's terrific. I think more and as much as he needs to play, they've got to get off to a good start. They were so lethargic against St. John's uh, last week. And then the loss, the double overtime heartbreaker to Georgetown. Uh, I know it was on the road and, and Seton Hall had been on a downhill trajectory. But again, to me, that's not a game they they should have lost. Uh, Georgetown's better, uh, best ever under Patrick Ewing. And, and maybe there are bright things that will return to D.C. on the campus of Georgetown. But Lord, they just got to get off to a better start. And then the crowd's got to get into it tonight. Hopefully there'll be a big crowd at uh, 
at Prudential Center. Yes, from the rack to the rock, the two Jersey, <laughs> uh, the two Jersey menus. Hopefully, will be rocking, and uh, the hometown teams will uh, will get what they need to uh, boost their resumes for March. But yeah, I agree with you. Another guy that really needs to stay out of foul trouble. He was in foul trouble last time out. Was Quincy McKnight? The team just seems to run a lot smoother when he's. Um, you know, running the show and, and setting up Powell. And, uh, you know, he, he needs to show up. He did not have a great game against Georgetown. They're going to need him on the floor to uh, not only to help run the offense, but to run around after Marcus Howard, who is, you know, I don't know how much you've had a chance to see him with a lot of your uh, being out on the road, calling the hockey games. But this guy is so unique. I mean, you watch him in, in warmups and you think, you know, who's the manager out here? I mean, who, who's, who's this guy? I mean, he, he, athletically, he's not hes not going to jump out of the gym. He's not the fastest guy that you'll ever see. And all he does is put the ball in the basket. And oftentimes from, you know, him and Powell could play horse. I mean, inside the, the uh, half court line. And, and the thing is with his shots, they're so pure, Matt. They don't even touch the rim when they're going in from from as far out as he is. And then he gets in the lane and he's able to juke and get guys off their feet. Something Powell's picked up on also is that get an up fake, get a guy off his feet out by the three point line and then jump into them to get three free throws. Both of them live at the free throw line. It could be an amazing game to watch two terrific players uh, do their thing this, uh, this evening in, uh, in Newark. Yeah. Well, fortunately the devils are off and I will be at the rock checking out all the action. The last time these two teams played in Milwaukee, it was a four point win for the golden Eagles. I think it'll be tight again tonight. And I think, you know, Seton Hall's back is against the wall. As we mentioned earlier, they don't have to win both of these games, but I wouldn't want to go into Saturday having to beat Villanova. So yeah. take care of business tonight and then come on out in your final home game of the regular season and, and take on a, a Wildcats team that, yes, they've won their last two, but they've uh, only gone three and four in their last seven. And they are not the same team as the defending national champs, though they are the best team right now in the Big East, no doubt about yes. that. And can I make a suggestion, Matt? Yeah. I want you to I want you to check out the Hauser brothers. They're sort of the throwback. I will. Um, you know, power forward players. Sam Hauser in particular, the older brother, he can really do a lot of everything. He can make three point shots. He's a he's a deadly free throw shooter, and uh, he's got some nice back to the basket moves. His brother's a freshman, Joey, um, and he is uh, he's starting to get his feet under him. But the but the Hauser brothers are a treat to watch, and they can put points on the board in a myriad of ways. So keep your eye on those guys as well. And as a Seton Hall graduate, I will have to remember the first rule of the press box: no cheering in the press box. <laughs> so yes. I, I, I will have to be uh, uh, keeping my emotions in check tonight as I watch my alma mater uh, try to secure although not securely, but secure a postseason berth in the NCAA tournament, which would be the fourth straight year, and that would be terrific. Okay, so let's move on to a couple of other things that have been in the news lately. Uh, My New York Mets hiring uh, John Franco, putting him in a more prominent role, Al Leiter coming over in a player evaluation, player development role, and then Jessica Mendoza. Uh, That was the announcement yesterday that ESPN's lead analyst on Sunday Baseball, although A-Rod may take exception with that. But at any rate, uh, she's now going to be part, while maintaining her ESPN duties, part of the Mets front office and having to deal with talent evaluation, uh, 
technological innovations. I'm trying to remember from. Uh, yes, Brody. I, I actually have it right here, Matt. Her okay. focus will, Health will and in performance is in there somewhere. Yes, her her areas uh, she will be focusing in are player evaluation, roster construction, technological advancement, and health and performance. And I don't want to pick it apart too much, but she also said yesterday she's going to be taking notes to meetings so she can learn a lot of things. So I'm trying to figure out, is she bringing something to the table or is she using this as a learning experience? But let me get this straight. I have zero problem with the hire. I have no doubt that a woman who has covered baseball at its highest level for a number of years now, who's an accomplished athlete in her own right, gold medalist on the softball side of things, uh, et cetera, an athlete, I have no doubt that she can have insights to the game. So I have no problem with the hire. Here's the only thing I will say. I hope it works. Because, because, and it's not because I'm a Mets fan. It's because we we look at the Mets making these out of box hires, including the general manager who was an Uber agent, Brody Van Wagenen, before taking this job. And you applaud a team for looking at things differently. That's how we've come up with analytics. That's how all these additions have come about. Uh, that's why players don't go out and drink a case of beer the night before a game, thinking it actually will enhance their performance the next day. We have learned so much more. But I hope this is not, and I'm sure it's not on the Mets' mind, but with the Mets, you never know. I I hope it's not just to garner a headline for a little bit. Hopefully, she'll have a voice. Hopefully, she'll bring some insights. And if it doesn't work for whatever reason, hopefully, it's not the end of women having a say at the table. I think that the more voices, the more eyes, the more ears, the, the more opinions you can get, potentially the better you are as long as it's not a cacophony of sound. But I hope this is not just a headline hire. I really hope that she can bring something to the table. I agree. The only question I have is how will we know if it's going to work? I mean, we're not going to know, you know, whether whether or not her input in the roster construction and technological advancement. I'd like to know what those things actually mean. And really, what, what's her background there? I mean, that that's what I say about the Mets. And I'll let you get back to your point, Johnny. I didn't mean to mm-hmm. interrupt, but that's what I'm saying. Is it Was this, you're putting stuff out like that, and I'm saying, did you really think this through? Why don't you just say we're bringing her on because she's been an analyst for the last couple of years in a national broadcast, on a national broadcast, and she's an Olympic athlete, and – why can't someone like that have a point of view that might have some resonance in this game? Just say it that way. Don't bring up all the other stuff. I mean, right, what is she a right. nutritionist? I mean, come on. I know. And I understand that she's represented by that CAA where where uh, Brody just was the uh, the head of, uh, you know, the CEO and whatnot. Yep. So there's that angle that goes along with it. I agree with you. I mean, she's been around the game of baseball for a long time. She does a really nice job on the ESPN telecasts. She was a star player in her own right, albeit in softball. It wasn't baseball. She seems to have a good relationship with the players when you see the interviews that she does. Um, and she's not alone here. I mean, look at it. Folks like A-Rod is doing it. Both David Ortiz and Pedro Martinez work for the Red Sox. They're on telecasts. Al Leiter, we know. Uh, has been doing his thing. And so, you know, why not let her have a seat at the table? I think it is a good, good idea. But as you mentioned, let's, let's just hope that it isn't to, uh, you know, to pump up their, 
uh, new way of doing things in in Queens. You know, let's hope that that's not the case. Yeah, and I think the old thought that um, a, a woman can't understand a man's game. Uh, while that notion still exists in some corners of this world, I, I think we're seeing that, you know, if if you are inquisitive, if you have a bit of a background, if you're willing to learn, then, yeah, you, you can see just as much as a man can see. And so let's let's see what she does. Uh, but I will say this. I would be a lot happier with all of the hires, including Lighters and Francos, which are more of the traditional kind, if the Mets win. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's there's no doubt about that. And I'd like to see what sort of a salary someone who will be uh, a special advisor uh, working in talent evaluation, roster construction, technological advancement and health and performance would be pulling in. Yeah. uh, And here's the other thing. She better be getting the same amount as a guy who's performing that same role. Enough of this stuff where uh, we can get away with paying a woman less. All right, so let's move across the state uh, and across the city. Uh, as we talk spring training, baseball we will go from the East Coast to the West Coast and, of course, from Queens to the Bronx when things get underway at the end of this month. Can you believe that, by the way? The end of March is when they're going to start baseball. Unbelievable. Uh, bring out the Parkers. Get your scorecard in your Parkers right here uh, <laughs> as you enter the ballpark. Uh, yes. But the Yankees with Luis, uh, Luis Severino um, shutting himself down after throwing a pitch and deciding, eh, I don't like the way that shoulder feels. A little rotator cuff injury. Um uh, Aaron Boone saying, you know what? He didn't even want to talk about whether he could be back by opening day. So I would suggest that this might be a little longer term, may not be something that will affect him the rest of the season, but certainly it it appears, at least just reading between the lines in Boone's statements about Severino's injury, that uh, he won't be. Luis Severino will not be with them when they open up. No, no. And he was looking for his, uh, I guess, his second uh, consecutive opening day start. Yeah, I think that he's going to definitely miss some time. And for a guy who's a fireballing pitcher, you know, that anytime you hear uh, rotator cuff inflammation, that is not a good sign. And let's face it, we know the Yankees and, and Brett, uh, Brett Gardner mentioned it earlier this week. They might shatter the home run record this season with all the bombers that they have on their team. But the last time I checked, it was also a game where you have to actually get people out on the other team. And pitching was not, starting pitching at least, is not and was not the Yankees' calling card last year. They beefed up their bullpen to what looks to be the best, if not one of the best, in in all of baseball. But, you know, you can start bringing guys out of the pen maybe in the sixth inning. So you're going to have to get at least five innings out of your starters. And if you're uh, all of a sudden going to start the season maybe with a Jonathan Loisica in rotation or, um, you know, Domingo Herman and people like that, then, you know, that's not great. He's supposed to be Severino supposed to be their number one guy. Let's not forget that James Paxton, who they just brought over to be their number two has spent a ton of time on the disabled list himself over the years. So listen, is this a is this a uh, nail in the coffin and their season is in jeopardy? No, but when your number one starter is showing uh, rotator cuff inflammation before he even throws his first spring training pitch, it's not a great start. But if you're the Yankees, are you more concerned about this, or would you be more concerned if a member of that vaunted bullpen came down with a similar injury? The way the game is changing, I get it. Uh, those days of nine inning complete games are long gone. Uh, 
but do you even need to get to the fifth inning with a starter? Uh, the way that bullpen is constructed and the way the game has changed and analytics certainly having an impact there. So if you're Brian Cashman, I'm not saying you're not concerned, but is your level of concern less than if it was to a bullpen member? That's a good question. Um, I guess the only way you can answer that is if you're trying to piece together guys from the fifth inning on, you know, numerous times a week. I mean, those guys out in the pen, supposedly a lot of those guys have what they call a rubber arm where you can get them up and down and they can get out there uh, numerous times a week. But if you're if you're dipping into the pen in the fifth and sixth inning, you know, two and three times a week, then that'll really tax uh, a bullpen, at least I would think. As far as the guys in the back, I don't think you're going to ask Aroldis Chapman to go multiple innings. Um, but some of those other guys, yeah, I, th- I would think that they can go multiple innings. That was that was why adding that Adam Adovino was a good thing. Um, Dellen Batances, those guys could go a couple of innings. But again, I wouldn't want to, at least out of the gates, I wouldn't want to start doing that um, you know, in the first few months when it's still a little chilly up here in the Northeast. Well, I understand that. I'm just wondering whether or not it's a matter, and it's not easy necessarily to find them, of just adding another bullpen arm. And well, that's because we're going to use you guys more often than we thought. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Severino. You know, the thing about spring training is not all the time because the Mets are struggling with some injuries that are longer term uh, at third base to Lowry and to Frazier. But a lot of times, because there's not much else to talk about, an, sure. incident, an incident like Severino's yesterday, you know, is something that you, uh, you know, really headline when maybe it, it, it'll be less uh concerning and less yes. serious. Than One other appears. angle there, Matt. One other angle there with the Yankees, and we all know that the Yankees have money. I mean, they print money. Um, why not, you know, there's talk, maybe they can go out and take a flyer on bringing in Dallas Keuchel if they think that uh, Severino's injury is going to be something that's going to linger on. I mean, it might not have to be a long-term thing. It might even be one of those big balloon one-year deals for uh, a high AAV um, a two-year deal, maybe. I mean, this guy did win the Cy Young in 2015, and uh, while being a soft thrower with that offense behind him, who knows? He could uh, he could be someone that could be an elixir if they want to go uh, looking for a starting pitcher. Well, a couple of more weeks, a little over that before the season starts, and we'll see how things develop for both the Mets and Yankees. One quick uh, comment about the Red Sox, and then John will we'll wrap things up uh, with the football Giants. But how are your Sox doing? So far, so good. They're putting up a lot of runs in spring training, which means nothing (laughs) because a lot of them are some of their younger players. I know that their farm system, which was once uh, the uh, envy of Major League Baseball, has been uh, whittled down to very few because of trades, Chris Sale and Craig Kimbrell. And of course, um, you know, they've gotten rid of a lot of those guys. Dave Dombrowski likes to uh, to burn some of his uh, capital there. But they've got some of the players that had had down years um, last year started to come on and are really having good spring trainings this year. Um, again, this will come down to whether Chris Sale can stay healthy for a full season. He was on his way to uh, the Cy Young Award on a skateboard last year and then he missed basically the last almost month and a half of the season he spent on the disabled list. I'll be interested to see if um, you know Nathan Ivaldi who they signed to a long-term deal, if he can continue the magic he showed up with when he uh, was traded to Boston last year, if he can be healthy. The big question mark with them now is with Craig Kimbrell out of the way, 
who's going to be their closer? I mean, they're talking about maybe a closer by committee, maybe Matt Barnes, a guy named Ryan Brazier, who really came out of nowhere, was pitching in Japan a year ago at this time, and then was getting huge outs for them in the uh, in the playoffs and in the World Series. One thing we do know is that Alex Cora is not going to be your uh, – by the book kind of a guy. I mean, he was bringing starters in in the sixth inning in, in some of those postseason games. So it'll be fun to watch. You know, the lineup is going to bop again with all their young players. Um, again, with them, it'll be if their starters can stay healthy and if they can get guys that'll get those final three outs, which is not easy to do, as we know. All right, moving on to your football giants. Uh, Landon Collins was not franchise tagged. He's a free agent as uh, the rebuild. Let's call it that. It is a rebuild. Uh, oh, yeah. Continues. Uh, good, bad, and different. What were your thoughts when you heard that? You know, Matt, he had lost a couple of steps. I mean, listen, he's only 25 years old to say that guy lost a step or two is sort of saying much. He still hits like a dump truck. His problem was and is that he's not a good cover guy. He, he doesn't cover well. He's not as fast as you would uh, like safeties to be. He's basically a linebacker that's playing safety. And although he made the Pro Bowl three times, uh, for the Giants to let their sort of heart and soul of the defense, which, let's be honest, was horrible last year, as bad as everyone wants to talk about their offense and Eli and offensive line, the Giants did hold, hold leads in the fourth quarter of, a, of many games last year, and they let many of those slip away. But, you know, to let him go and get nothing in return, I mean, if they, if this was the thinking behind everything, why not trade him back last season when they got rid of Snacks when they got rid of Eli Apple, when they could have uh, come up with another draft pick. I think to let him go for nothing is uh, is odd, and I really at this point have no idea what Dave Gettleman is thinking. So this offseason is going from weird to weirder, and, and it'll be interesting to see now if they do anything with Eli, You know, if they want to try and rip up his contract and sign him to a new one, or what they do with Olivier Vernon. There's a guy who couldn't find a quarterback with – uh, a GPS device last year, what they do with him. It, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, I think that's what's confusing. Uh, what are the Giants? And they refuse to say they're rebuilding. You know, just a, a short while ago, I mean, they draft Saquon because there's a push to the playoffs. And so what are they really? Did it take this year for Gettleman to understand the depths to which they had fallen from a talent standpoint? What is the story with Eli? Can can, are you rebuilding if you've got, what, a 38-year-old quarterback uh, who's won four games uh, averaged in the last two years? I, I, just don't, I just don't know what they're doing, and, yeah. that's, and that's the problem. But your point about landing Collins is well made in a league in which more and more often teams are throwing the ball. If you can't get downfield in coverage, are you worth $11 million? And if you are part of one of the a, a terrible defense, are you worth $11 million? And yes, I know he went to the Pro Bowl. And I know he was once an All-Pro. Those are different things, of course. Uh, he had one selection as an All-Pro uh, defensive back. But at any rate, you know, we finished last with you. We can finish last without you type of mentality, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, like you said, what is the plan? I mean, wh- where are we going with this? You mentioned the the offense. Eli is 38 years old, and you, you mentioned the games he's won over the last few years. What is the plan? Are right. they going to go out? Are they going to try and bring in um, maybe a Nick Foles, who supposedly is, is Jacksonville in the waiting, or Teddy Bridgewater? Or are they going to draft Dwayne Haskins? I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of the – 
underwear Olympics. I mean, the NFL Combine on Saturday. <laughs> uh, but, no. I mean, Dwayne Haskins ran a five, five, whatever, uh, in five seconds in, in the, um, uh, in the 40 yard dash, he was the slowest of all of them. There were, there were, there were six foot seven, 310 pound defensive tackles that were running in the four, four. That was that dude from what Mississippi state, I think. Yeah. Some yeah, guy he like a, broke, broke Odell Beckham's mark or something like that. Or was, yes, better, no, I don't know what broke a, his mark, but it was better than him. That's funny. Yes. He's got a great name, Montez Sweat or Sweet. It's an amazing. It was unbelievable. You get to see this guy pick him up and put him down. Even the other, another guy, Quentin Williams, the big uh, defensive end from tackle from Alabama. He ran like a four six or something like that at three hundred and five pounds. And um, listen, what what are the Giants going to do at six? Their defense is horrible will they take one of these great defensive ends or tackles if they're still there is haskins going to be the guy and is he going to hold the clipboard for 16 games or are they going to do maybe like they did with eli and 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 kurt warner and let him play a number of games and then just you know pull off the huggies and send them out there i mean what is the plan we really have no idea well we don't and here's the deal the owner loves eli he's won them super bowls he'll forever have a place in Giants history and it's hard to let go and that's what we're finding out they're afraid to pull the trigger because the owners love Eli Manning in particular John Mara and so until or unless that changes and until or unless Eli decides he's had enough of it and at 20 something million dollars a year I'm not sure when that will happen uh, he's going to be the guy. That's just that's just the fact. You can get on Gettleman. You can get on the coach for how he uses him or why he uses him. Ownership is driving this bus. And to a degree, I get it because of what he's done. But at some point, you have to turn the page. And it's awfully hard to do when you've had the success that Eli has, who is such a polarizing figure, right? I mean, a guy who's won two Super Bowls, you would think that there's no one who would argue against him, but he has as many detractors as he has supporters regardless he's an important part of Giants history it will always be there he's a good guy other than the fact that he had a little bit of that memorabilia hiccup but at any rate (laughs) he's generally considered a good guy and they just don't want to cut the cord that's really what it comes down to but say that say Eli's our guy until he's no longer our guy but they won't do yes And as a longtime Giant fan, uh, I appreciate what he's done. He's taken us on a couple of wild rides, and and some of those playoff wins and Super Bowl wins are, you know, just unbelievable moments in time that they were able to do what they were able to do. But the at, at, every once in a while, not every once in a while, at, at at some point the party's over. Yeah, and I think at this point the party's over. He's made zillion dollars. He's a super guy. He's on every television commercial that his brother is not. So it's not like he needs the money right now. I think it's time. You know, I really do think it's time to move on. And um, you know, he's been great, but as I said, the party's over. So let's pull the plug. Well, that's a way to end this show. It's time to pull the plug down on this week's <laughs> podcast as uh, we've touched upon a bunch of things. Uh, again, we hope that our 
partner Steve Titchener gets better. A little touch of the flu keeping me out of this week's lineup. Next week, I'm going to be on the road. Devils making a uh, Western Canada so Canada Canada <laughs> sojourn. Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and then wrapping up in Denver against the Colorado Avalanche. So you guys will take over. Hopefully, you're not rolling solo. I think Steve will be back. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's get some chicken soup in you, Steve. <laughs> Fair enough. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the podcast on More Sports Now. For John McAlevey and our ailing partner, Steve Titchener, I'm Matt Lachlan saying thanks for joining us. So long. So long.